Welcome to The Well Podcast. We pray that this message ministers to you and blesses you as you listen. This morning, uh, if you will, I've got one scripture I want to read uh, to you, and uh, and we'll jump into this message. If you want to turn to Hosea chapter 10, verse 12, and as you're doing that, if you'll stand for the reading of the word this morning. I'll give you a moment to find that. And if you got it, say, I got it. If you're still looking, say, wait a minute. All right. Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. It says, plant the good seed of righteousness, and you will harvest a crop of love. Plow up the hard ground of your hearts, for now is the time to seek the Lord. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the reading of your word. And Lord, as we begin to digest this this morning, Lord, we ask that that bread of life, Father, would find our bellies. And Father, that it would be satisfying and nourishing to our souls. So Lord, we just ask that your spirit flow through this time. And we just ask that you would impart it, Father, into the good soil of our heart. We give you praise and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, this morning, uh, this uh, scripture um, actually came out of some reading I was doing. Um, I am a uh, A.W. Tozer fan. If you don't know who that is, um, I would recommend you look him up. Um, he is not for the casual Christian. He is not for the mainstream church. He is very much uh, against the church program, the hour-long service that's three songs and a, and a short feel-good sermon that sends you on your way, and you can check the box and say, I did church. Um, he's very much uh, one who seeks the truth, and the truth is sometimes abrasive, and it's sometimes uncomfortable, and he believe, believes God moves when and if his people ask for it. Um, and when those conditions are met, he believes God moves in a mighty and miraculous way. So Tozer is not the casual Christian. He is not one that uh, is, is going to fill you with um, uh, nursery rhymes and happy little things, but he is really going to challenge you in your faith, in, uh, in your practice, how you live that out and walk that out. And so uh, this scripture is a part of a um, book called Paths to Power. Uh, Tozer writes short books. This one, I think, was 70 pages. He has another one that's 40 pages that he wrote overnight on a train from Chicago to Houston. Um, But it is packed full of good stuff. So this particular one comes out of a chapter that he calls Miracles Follow the Plow. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning is the plow. And uh, in our text, it says, plow up the hard ground of your hearts. And so it's not unusual in text uh, in the Bible to have agricultural um, references, to use that as examples. It's used throughout the, the book. Um, and to me, in, in, in this period of my life, in the last, um, I guess, about six years, uh, 
Becky and I, when we first moved up here, did the typical thing, and we found a house in a subdivision, and, and we looked online and looked at the aerial views and counted the swing sets to make sure there were kids in the neighborhood that our kids could play with. Um, and we moved into a neighborhood with other families and uh, other children in the neighborhood and those kind of things, and, and we thought that was going to be great. Um, and little did we know that as we uh, lived there a few years and the privacy fences went up and, and suddenly this, this open neighborhood with lots of children suddenly became this, this walled off uh, community where everyone kind of kept to themselves um, and you weren't allowed in, if you will. Um, and so as we felt the world slowly closing in around us, uh, we yearned for some space. And so we moved out to a farm um, out close to Surrett Nature Center. Uh, if you've been to Surrett Nature Center, you've been past our farm. Um, and we bought five acres from a, a couple out there. Uh, and we were blessed because the, the property that we bought, the house that we bought, belonged to another couple who was a good, godly couple that, that prayed. They actually, uh, in one of the closets, was their prayer closet. It had a cork board on it. It had pins in it. You knew that they spent time in that closet and covered that closet and that property and all their needs that went on that cork board, they covered in prayer. And the cool thing was is that we were able to form a relationship. Uh, the father and mother of that couple live across the street from us. Um, and so we, we get to have that relationship and, and, and just enjoy the fact that they have prayed over that property and, um, and over that space. And we walked into it and just felt at home. And one of the things that we said about that property when we got there is that, you know, the Lord has blessed us with this. Um, and, and I can tell you that it was a, I, I don't know, several month journey. We looked at a lot of properties. And um, if, if you've ever went shopping, how many of y'all live in a farmhouse or, or have farming in your background? A few? Yeah, a few. Okay. Um, a lot of the farmhouses we looked at, um, might have been built in the 40s or 50s and hadn't been touched since then. Um, and so we were, we were at the point that we said, okay, it's just going to be a project. We're going to have to go in, imagine walls being removed, know we got a lot of work ahead of us and that kind of thing. And this one property suddenly popped up. And uh, I think Becky was the first one to see it, sent it to our realtor and said, we want to go see this one. And the realtor literally gets to the front door, and she opens the door and pulls it back. And we're like, oh, no. What does that mean? And she turns to us and she goes, you're going to like this one. Um, and we were fortunate enough that the, the previous owners had completely gutted the place, had um, furred out the walls, six-inch walls in this place, completely re-insulated, new plumbing, electric, everything was redone. Um, and, uh, and it was just a, a beautiful home. Some of you have been there, um, and we feel so blessed to have it, and um, just immediately the desire of our heart is to share that, and we've tried to do that over the years. Um, but in moving into that house, we now had five acres, which if you live in a little one-third acre lot in the subdivision, seems like an awful lot, um, and it is, um, because now suddenly we had five acres of grass to cut minus whatever you know, property the house was on. And so we went from, you know, a 20-inch push mower that it would take me an hour to do, you know, the subdivision house to, to a riding mower that took me four and a half hours. Um, and I still didn't have it all done. I still didn't do the weed eating and the edging and all the other things that I had, had grown accustomed to doing. But, um, 
but we enjoyed the farmhouse. And for the first few years, the property that was out back that had previously been sown for hay and grass just lay. We were content not to do anything with it. The only thing we did was run the lawnmower through there, literally with, with you know, riding lawnmower, the grass and stuff as tall as the mower, you know, plowing through there and cutting it, cutting it as we go. Um, completely the wrong tool for the job. But getting through there just to make a path so that the kids and myself could ride our bicycles through there. And, um, and we enjoyed it for, for what it was uh, and just cut trails through the grass. But, you know, we were content not to not to get into a growing and planting. It's something we, that we knew we wanted to get into. We weren't sure what we wanted to do, but we knew that we wanted to eventually get into that. Um, but for the first few years, we just let it kind of return to its natural state, minus a few trails that we cut in. So the grass continued to grow. And the first year, I remember it being really tall. And, um, and then the second year, it, it didn't quite grow as well. And there was a lot of brown in it from, from last year. Um, and it just seemed to kind of slowly kind of deteriorate, if you will, uh, a little bit over time. And the weeds moved in, and it wasn't, wasn't quite as pretty as that first year when, when they had just planted the year before, you know? Um, and what was once kind of this green, lush field slowly started to turn brown. But that's, that's just what it does. That's its natural state, is it, is it slowly just kind of loses that energy and loses that, that ability to, to refurbish or, or to, to grow back um, as it was when it was freshly planted. But a couple of years in, we decide that, that we do want to grow something. And so we started out with a little garden. And, um, and I don't remember the first year whether we had the tractor or not. Um, where we did the, the potatoes and the, the tomatoes and stuff out back, back in that sandy spot behind the pond. Oh, yeah, we, we've got a pond there, too. It doesn't hold water, um, but it's, it's, it's a pond. Um, it holds water in the winter when the ground's frozen, but it's not as much fun. Um, but we decided that we were going to grow a little garden, and, and we tilled up a little area and grew that. And before long, we decided that, that we were going to grow sunflowers. Um, we, we started out thinking that we were going to grow blueberries and different things, and then we looked around and was like, you know what, there's like a lot of people that do that, um, and we can't compete with all these people that have been doing it for years, but, but you know, what's, what's going to be our little niche, you know? What are we going to find? And so sunflowers was that, was that thing. Um, and I think the first year we grew them just because we enjoyed the sunflowers, um, and, of course, it was a lot of work. We tilled up the ground, and we planted, and, and, and you know, the weeds and stuff just, oh, my goodness. It's these farmers who got it figured out, um, especially the organic ones that don't use chemicals, I don't know how they do it, to be honest. Um, yeah, it's, it's a tremendous amount of work. But we really didn't know what we were doing. And to be honest, we, we, we know a little bit now, um, but we still, still are not, um, you know, we're pros at it. We get paid for it some. Um, but, uh, but we struggled because we, we just didn't know. We didn't have the experience. We didn't have the background. Neither one of us come from, from a farming background. Neither one of us grew up on a farm. Neither one of us had that, that education, if you will, when we were kids to lean on. And surprisingly enough, there's not a whole lot of uh, information on small-scale farming on the Internet. There, there's just not. 
Um, if you want a you know, 48-row corn planter, yeah, you can find all kinds of things on that. But that doesn't quite uh, work when you're down to a, a one-row something that was built in the 60s that you can't find a manual on. Um, so nonetheless, we talked to a few people, got some ideas, and uh, started to work the ground. Um, I was fortunate enough to, to buy my, my old Ford 8N tractor, um, which I love. Um, there's, a, there's something about it. It just... You know, just like automobiles, they kind of have a face. This tractor kind of has a face on it, and it's just cute, um, and I love it. Uh, I haven't given her a name, um, but, uh, but I love it. Um, and uh, she starts right up and purrs like a kitten, and, and she's tough, um, and, uh, and I just love it. Um, and and people, get, people get emotional about, about their old tractors, um, and, and I guess we did too. We made T-shirts. But anyway... Um, but people like the paint, so the, the Fords are gray and red, and some people like orange paint, and some people like that expensive green paint, um, but I like the gray and red. Yeah, see, some of y'all know, the rest of you are like, what are you talking about? But, uh, but anyway, we, we started to work the land, and we started to, to grow these sunflowers, and then we got into the farmer's market, and suddenly we thought, you know, we need to expand. We really need to start, you know, we've got three-ish acres that we can plant all in sunflowers. We can take it to market, and we were excited about that. And so, so we had to, to kind of up our game. It wasn't a, a shovel and a hoe and that kind of stuff. We had to go get some equipment to, to turn the ground over because this ground that, that's this hay field is just it's covered in grass. And then when you dig through it, you just you hit all the roots and things under there. And so, so after talking with some people and kind of say, sharing, here's what we want to do, and that kind of just, just get a disc. You'll be good with a disc. And a, and a disc is a disc harrow. It's short for disc harrow. But, but a disc is essentially a series of these curved blades that you drag behind the tractor. And the idea is that it goes down and it kind of cuts the soil and it kind of shifts it left to right. And it's just enough to kind of move the soil over and kind of disturb it, kind of break up any clumps that are there. But you run it over that grass where all that roots are, and it just rides up on top. And so there's two pieces of log that I stuck on there because I was getting frustrated because I just I went over it and went over it and went over it. And I just was not making progress. And uh, and so I added some weight to it. Um, the the first weight I added was me, um, and I had Sophie drive the tractor. I wouldn't recommend that. I'm not recommending that. Do not try this at home. Um, but I had to run the experiment. So I'm clinging to the back of this thing, and my, I don't know, 12-year-old daughter, however old she was at the time, is driving my, my tractor. I mean, we were perfectly safe. Um, but, uh, but it helped a little bit, but it still wasn't cutting it the way it should have been. And so what I really needed was a plow. And so, and so I finally got a plow, and that's a whole different level of frustration. Um, because the, the, this little Ford tractor I had is really only good for a single bottom plow. And if you don't get that set up right, mm, you're, you're not plowing, you're rutting. And it's a mess. Um, and I did a lot of rutting. Uh, and it wasn't pretty. But the whole idea behind the plow and what makes it so good at what it does is that it, 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 it and the amazing thing about a plow, it's been around forever. They, they literally don't know who invented the plow. It's been around that long. And it's been in societies and cultures all throughout recorded history. They, they literally, now they have like the modern inventor and, you know, those kind of things. And the one that made it for the tractor first. And, yeah, we got all that. But they literally can go back thousands of years and they had plows. So, 
so the plow that, that, that I have and the way the plow is supposed to work is that it, it has a point and it digs in and it gets underneath those roots. And it's not really a digging implement so much as it is just flipping those roots over. And the whole idea around the plow is that when you flip those roots over and you expose them to air, that the plant will die. And then once that plant dies and those roots die, they get uh, dried out by the sun and the air exposure, that then they just crumble. And so then you can come back after you've plowed the field, you can come back with the disc, and the disc will break all that up. And now suddenly you have this soft, uh, uh, friable, which just means you can break it easily and you can stick things down in it. You have this soft soil out there that you're now ready to plant in. So, so we went through the, the process, and, and I did a lot of rutting, like I said, and it wasn't pretty. Um, and I actually got it lined up good one time, ever, ever. I got it lined up good one time, and I plowed this one section of the field, and I'm like, yeah, I'm getting this figured out, and never have gotten back to that ever again. Um, that's just the truth of the matter. Um, but I enjoy tinkering with it. Um, it's frustrating, and it's a lot of work, and it's dirty, and it's hard. Uh, the plow is, is heavy. you got to wrestle that thing onto the tractor. Um, and, and then once you get it on there, you set it up, you go a little bit, and once you kind of get started and you get it wrong, it's hard to recover. But the plow is, is, is simply turning that soil over. So then there's the seed. And I can't help when I say seed to think of the parable of the, the seed and the sower. And you find that in, in Matthew chapter 13. And it, probably if you've been in church any, any length of time or if you've studied that part of the Bible, you probably have heard the story of the seed and the sower. And it talks about the sower casting the seed onto the field and how the seed lands on four different soils. It lands on the roadway. It, it lands on the rocky soil. And in some translation, it says the shallow soil. But if you look back at the Greek, it's rocky. Um, and then it lands amongst the thorns. And then... And then the NLT, which I usually read, says the fertile soil. And, and the original translation translates better to good soil. And the, the, the difference I want to pull out there is, is, that, is that you can have fertile soil, and, and if it hasn't been broken up and it's not ready to receive that seed, that seed's just going to sit on top. Right? You can have all the nutrients you want in the soil, but if it's got a crust on it and, and the seed can't penetrate that crust, that, that fertile soil does you no good. It's essentially if I just mowed it down and left all those roots and all that stuff in the soil and I threw that seed out there, that seed is just going to sit on top. It's going to dry out. The birds are going to get it. And it's not going to be good for anything. And so I like the translation that says the good soil because when I read that, I say the good soil, I know it's fertile. It's got all the nutrients it needs for that plant to thrive. And then it's, it's soft and it's ready to receive that seed. You can plant it easily. And you can, can give it a, a, a good soft ground for that, that taproot to begin to form. And it can get down and find those nutrients in the soil. And then the, the sprout can find its way up to the surface. And one of the things I love about sunflowers, and this is such a beautiful thing in my mind. You might not find it that beautiful. But the sunflower starts with these two uh, leaves that, that, are, that are wrapped up essentially inside the shell. And as that sprout breaks the surface, these two leaves open up to receive the sun. 
And it's unique because those two leaves do not replicate. Those two leaves break the surface. They're the only ones on the sunflower that are these rounded leaves like you might find on a, on a tree or something. It's just this rounded shape. And the rest of the leaves on the sunflower end up being more pointed and, and, and just entirely different shape. So even in that seed, the seed has everything it needs to grow. And that's a beautiful thing. You see, if we look at this, this parable, it wasn't the seed. The seed was not the problem. The seed had everything it needed to, to grow and to begin to, to turn into something beautiful. What made the difference was the soil that it landed on. And so the, the plant has everything it needs, the, or the seed has everything it needs. It just depends on whether it's going to land on that footpath, that hard-packed ground, where the birds come along and, and, and take it, where it can't penetrate, it can't get into the soil. And then it talks about that shallow soil or that rocky soil where there's just not a lot of depth there. And if you guys have ever, ever seen something where they, they've had pavement or something and they put this thin layer of dirt over it, we have that at our house too, is, is that, that, that thin layer in the spring does great. does great. The grass will grow on it. Stuff looks green and nice. But come about August, when it's hot, and that, that soil is really shallow. You can walk out of there and go, this is where your old uh, sidewalk used to be right here. Because it will absolutely just burn up everything that's there. There's no depth to the soil. So that, so that when that, that heat and that, that, that August sun hits it, and it's trying to burn it up, and it's under stress, the plants just will. And so then there's the thorns that are, that are in, this, in this parable. And of course, we, we know that, that, that the thorns choke out uh, those are the weeds, <clears throat> and bless the farmers that can do it. I can't. I don't have it figured out. Getting better, but not there. But all of those weeds that surround that plant just steal all the nutrients out of the soil. They just steal all the moisture out of the soil. Everything that plant needs to thrive, all those weeds are competing for it. And even to the point, I ran an experiment because I was so frustrated. I had one little sunflower out there, and it was just absolutely covered with weeds and grass, and I can't figure out how to get rid of all those. Um, without destroying the sunflower. But, but I literally took and, and I just hoed out like a three-foot ring around this thing. And it was that one sunflower that was like five foot tall and the rest of them are like 18 inches. And it just, to me, showed me how much all that's just stripping away all that nutrients and things from it. So then the last one is, is the good soil, and we talked about that. The, the neat thing about this parable, and if you look... Um, and I, and I think this is, it should be a reflection of, of our proximity to Christ. But if you look at where Christ presented this parable, he was standing in a boat. The crowds had gotten so big around them that, that he wasn't able to, to maybe see the people like he wanted to. He wasn't able to maybe speak how he wanted to. And so they actually, the disciples and Jesus got into a boat and they pushed off from the shore and got a little distance between the people. And he is teaching from the boat. And the cool thing is, is not that piece of it, but it's the next conversation he has where the disciples turn to him and go, why do you speak in parables? And the cool thing was is that those who are closest to Jesus were permitted to understand. And so there's a lesson there that says that your proximity to him is going to equate to your understanding of him or from him. And so there's, there's something beautiful about this picture of how they, they were gathered in the boats and suddenly Jesus turns his attention from the masses to speak to those who are closest to him. 
and how he allowed them to understand why he used parables. And down in Matthew um, 13, verse 14, this is Jesus' response when they asked him why he speaks in parables. And he says, this fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. And he's speaking of the crowds now. And he says, when you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear, and they have closed their eyes, and so their eyes cannot see, their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand. This is what he's telling his disciples about the people that he is spending his days preaching to. And so at the end of that verse, the result of it is, they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. So there's a couple things that stood out to me. Is that first, their ears cannot hear. And the way I see this in the parable that he just shared is this is, this is the, the stony path. If we don't have our ears open, if, if our hearts are not softened, if they're not the friable soil that's good soil for that seed to, to, to land in, suddenly when we hear the word, we really don't hear it. It goes in one ear and out the other. And so there's a necessity for our heart to be softened, for that, that land, if you will, that's in our heart to be softened. And then it says their eyes cannot see, and so their hearts cannot understand. And to me, that one really jumped out at me. Because, you know, my story, if, if, if you've been here and I've shared it before, I didn't come to know Christ until I was 20 years old or so. I, I didn't grow up in church. I don't have that background. I didn't go through the Sunday school. I didn't learn all the, the, the nursery rhymes or whatever we want to call them. Becky can still sing them. I can't, you know, and, that, and that's a blessing for y'all because I might be tempted to try. But, but for me, coming to Christ as an adult, and, and for me being more of like the math science kid, I was a nerd, I live up to that, that, that name, um, nerd's a four-letter word. But anyway, um, I, I had, you know, I used to say I'm from Missouri. you got to show me, right? I had to have what I, what I call that burning bush moment. I, I needed to have that experience with God. I needed to be convinced by something I experienced, not, not what I read. Because I had my doubts about the book, and I've spent years since then learning about where the Bible comes from and how accurate it is and how there are more copies of the Bible that are thousands of years old than any other book. And that they can, they can trace the language in this book back thousands of years, and they can say without a doubt that this is the original language. And they can say that, yeah, in the year you know, 400, this was added to it. And if you look in your footnotes in your Bible, some of that's captured there. And so I had, I had a lot of that. Uh, not that, that um, faith was just hard for me. I mean, that's, that's just the, the fact of the matter. Faith was hard for me. But praise God, I had that experience. I had God move in my life. I had things happen in my life. I had circumstances in my life that God just wiped to the side that left me with mouth agape and just in awe of how he moved. And you know what? No one can take that away from me. 
We can argue about the, the accuracy of the text, and we can argue whether archaeology backs up the Bible or, 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 or whether things are, are, are accurate or whatever in the lands that they claim to be in and that kind of stuff. We can argue whether the Red Sea was really the Reed Sea. We, we can argue all those things, and that's great. But you can't take away from me the experience that I've had. And you can't argue that I didn't have the experience. You weren't there. You didn't, you didn't get to see God move in miraculous ways. You didn't get to see God through five other people tell me the same message. You didn't get to, to, to be there the day that I went, this is nuts. But I thank God that he loved me enough that, that he moved through people, that he sent word through people. That he didn't only send word, but he confirmed it through people. And he still does it today, and that's a beautiful thing. And today, you know, we're, I'm in a way different place than I was then. I, 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 I'm so much smarter than I was. And, I, and I'm not bragging because the closer I get to God, the smaller I feel. And the closer I get to God, the further he seems away. The bigger he seems. It is amazing. And, and I liken it to this. Like if you, anyone been to Washington, D.C.? Yeah, a few of you. How many of you stood like at the Capitol building and said, yeah, we'll just walk down to the Washington Monument? You can see it. It's right there. That's like five miles away. And you're walking and you're walking and you're walking and you're like, is it moving away from us? <laughs> but you know, when you get right up to it and you get your face right against it and you look up at it, it is, you're just in awe of how big it is. And that's, that's the way God is to me. Every time I feel like I'm stepping more his way and I understand a little bit more, I understand he's a little bit bigger than I had my head wrapped around. It's just, it's just awe. It just puts me in awe. All right. Let me get back to my, my, my text here. Matthew 13, verse 15. For the hearts of these people are hardened. And much like that fallow ground I talked about, our hearts need to see the plow. We can grow hardened in our hearts. I mean, you remember at the time, these, these people were, were probably all Jews. Probably a lot of them were faithful to go to the synagogue and were there for the prayers, much like we're faithful to come to church, much like we're faithful to read the text. And yet Jesus says their hearts are hardened. Instead of living in, in seasons of, of sowing and planting and, and seasons of growth and those kind of things, we can fall into the trap of getting comfortable. And it's one of the things that, that, that I saw in, in my history, in my experience with church, and you probably have all seen it. You've all seen that, that, that person who is faithful to come and be there on the third row and, and they're, you know, praising God and that kind of stuff. And you know they're dealing with the same issue today that they were 10 years ago, sitting in that same seat, doing the same thing. And what they have done essentially is create a fence around themselves where they are comfortable getting as close as they want to be to God, but not close enough to let God make a difference in their life. And essentially in creating this fence, they have, they have said, you know what? We're not going to let the plow come in here. We, we're, we're content to, to have our few trees over here that are producing a little fruit 
And we're going to celebrate those and be excited about those, but we're going to fall short of that 30, 60, and 100-fold blessing that God has in his text. And that same fence that they have put around themselves to protect themselves has essentially fenced God out. And something that, something I said when, when we were going through founding this church and getting things started was that I needed to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And there is a need and a necessity for us to be uncomfortable. If the word doesn't challenge you, if you are not touched by this word to examine your heart and find those stones in your heart, and those stones lie just underneath the surface. If anyone has ever run a disc behind a small tractor like mine, you can be riding along and you know when you hit a stone. It doesn't have to be a big one. But there is a characteristic clink that happens behind you. And you jam on the brakes, you throw it in neutral, you jump off the tractor, and you start kicking that dirt around trying to find that stone. Because you know that that stone is going to keep something from growing there. It's also going to be there next time you run your tractor over it and you're going to bust something. And so you desire to get every one of those stones out. And if you go around many of these farmers' fields and you look along the edges, you'll see those stones that they have gone into that field and they have put a special effort in finding those and removing those stones and getting those out. We need to have that same attention to our hearts. We need to have that same attention to that soil of our heart so that when seed is thrown out, whether that's from this pulpit, whether it's from your reading, something you see on television, YouTube, whatever it is, when that seed comes out of the word and lands on the soil of your heart, your heart needs to be ready to receive it. Because if we get comfortable, if we get comfortable just like the the field in the first few years, we were content not to do anything. We were content just to let it lay. We were content not to invest time in it, not to go work it, not to go plant anything. And what we were doing, we were content to see it die. And if we take that same attitude with the soul in of our heart, we are going to get the same results. All of that fruitfulness that we once knew and once saw is slowly going to be succumbed to all the weeds and all the thorns and all of those other things. <clears throat> and I don't want to say this in a condemning way, but I don't know how to say it otherwise. Some of these churches that talk about the glory days of what was, and they keep looking back to what was, and they talk about where they had been and how great it was, and they're looking backwards, are not looking in the right direction. They need to, to write their heart, write their thinking. They need to start looking for what God is saying today and start moving in his direction today instead of looking in the rearview mirror of where they've been. Because if they're looking in the rearview mirror, chances are they're just wandering around off the road willy-nilly not knowing where they're going. They need to fix their eyes on where God is leading them and follow with obedience. We can't be comfortable and live daringly. If we're going to see seasons of planting, if we're going to see seasons of reaping, if we're going to see a true harvest, we can't be content with what is. We always have to be looking for what we can plant in the new season. 
we always have to be examining the soil and taking every advantage to, to go into every corner and pull out every stone so that we can get that harvest that we're due. And so we've got to put the plow to our life. We've got to put the plow to our pride. We've got to put the, the plow to our contentment and our comfort, our routine. Routine is a killer. Routine is a killer. And I believe a lot of churches have fallen into routine. Tozer calls it the program, the dreaded program, where everything is scripted. How do you expect God to move if he's not in the script? And so many churches have fallen into that. We've got to learn to trade the ease for adventure. Instead of waiting to die, we have to look forward to live. And so what do those plows look like? They look like repentance. They look like examining our hearts and finding all those stony places in our hearts and saying to the Lord, I'm sorry that I've left it there that long. I'm sorry I wasn't more diligent about finding that stone and removing it. We've got to let the plow go through us with humility. We've got to be able to admit that we missed it. We've got to be able to, to go to our brother and say, I've missed it. Because the beautiful thing about that is your brother might have missed it too. Or your sister, not to leave y'all out. We've got to dare to allow the word to plow our heart and soul. We've got to have a willingness for that plow to transform the field. We've got to have a willingness for that plow to expose the roots. And one of the things that we've run into, unfortunately, far more often and frequently than we should, is church hurt. People who have been offended in a church somewhere, and, and now they've, they've got some hindrance that they're not able to press in and pray because this memory of some hurt keeps coming up and it keeps, keeps them held back from the place that God would truly have them be. But we've got to allow the plow to take those weeds and, and those thorns and that place of hurt and expose that. Because in exposing that root and in burying that plant that was there, this is the beautiful thing, is that very same plant that, that kept that field from accepting new seed becomes fertilizer for that same field for new seed. We've got to grow discontent with what was. And we've got to have a greater desire for what will be. Hosea 10, 12, plant the good seed of righteousness and you will harvest a crop of love. Plow up the hard ground of your hearts for now, now is the time to seek the Lord. There's no better time than right now to seek the Lord. There's no better time to, to begin to do that hard work of turning over that soil 
exposing the root, finding those stones and pulling them out. Because the sooner you can do that, the sooner that you can get those out of there, the sooner the harvest. Now, I know that everyone has rocky places. Everyone has rocky places. I'm convinced after working in the field behind my house, they grow. They just do. I can tell you every time I've gone through there, I keep finding more. And I think in our life where we get complacent and we want to not tend to the field and we allow it to go back to its natural state, we run into that same thing where those roots and those thorns begin to grow and somehow those stones grow there too. But we've got to be diligent about our work. We've got to, to continue the process of the plow and turning over that soil and pulling out those stones. And you know what? Much like me on the farm, some of us in this room probably don't have a lot of experience about what that looks like. What's it look like to have the plow run through your life and your heart and your soul? Well, that's going to come through digging into the Word. It's going to come through finding the counsel of good people who can speak into your life. It's going to come in your humility and in taking those thorns and those places of hurt to someone that you can confide in and say, pray with me. And that's not going to be a comfortable thing. But we've got to get rid of the fences. We've got to invite the plow in. We've got to. Got to. It's a mandate. It's a must. Because if you're not going to let that plow in, you're not going to have new seasons of seed and harvest, then you are going to wither away. So I dare you this morning. I dare you to invite that plow in. I dare you to dig into the word. I dare you on God's behalf because I know he is faithful. I know when you press into him and you draw close to him, like the disciples in the boat, he's going to go here. I want you to understand. And he's going to love on you and he's going to take all of those hard places in your life. And he's going to flip them over and say, we're going to use this for something amazing. We want to thank you for listening in today. At The Well, we believe in cultivating a culture for more of God. Wherever you are in your relationship and walk with God, we believe that there is always more for those who diligently seek after Him. If you would like to find out more, please check out our website at thewellmichigan.com and connect with us on social media.